On this episode of the Trauma-Informed Podcast, we have Odaline, and comes from the, the island of Haiti, from the town of Port-au-Prince, and I think it's her experience as an immigrant, particularly from that unique place, provides some interesting insights to the, uh, the conversation on trauma. When I started this podcast initially about four years ago with the theme of trauma, it was I was intentional about making an effort to represent non-white voices. And obviously, when discussing trauma, non-white voices. However, what I found was when studying about trauma, most of the, uh, the so-called trauma experts were predominantly white white people, even predominantly white males. I think it's, it's obvious the importance of including non-white voices into the conversation to kind of give a more diverse uh, perspective on the, the topic of trauma. Anyway, well, listen into my conversation with Odaline. I hope you enjoy it. All right, Odaline. Well, thank you for joining me here today. It's a very uh, rainy day here in uh, Miami, Miami Beach. Uh, so why don't we, we start out the, where, so where did you grow up and how would you say where you, where you, the place that you grew up in and, and the people that you grew up with influence your, your life and, and on your, your views of being a therapist? Well, I grew up in Miami, Florida. However, I believe my view started from where I was born. I was born in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, in which, as we understand, Port-au-Prince, Haiti um, is an economy that is very deprived. It is a very economically deprived population where poverty is a very high high standing point. Many people are without income, uh, without homes. Many of them don't have a lot of resources. So. I guess being born in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, had a huge upbringing on who I am and who I became. My parents eventually found solution to to move to America so we can have a better life, but it still did not remove me from the the economic standpoint that I came from. From growing up in Haiti, we didn't have a lot, and we didn't have a lot of resources. And even coming to America, into Miami, Florida, we still had to fend for ourselves and discover new roles on how to adapt to this new culture and this new way of life. So we eventually um, just started growing. My parents having to find source of income, employment, further their education, really kind of build me to want to get involved into the economic, the social economic culture to really learn how to really grow in this field and grow in this environment itself. I believe that the main influence on me wanting to become a therapist is that a Haitian American, we don't really get exposed to mental health as being something of relevance of, I guess, exceptional importance. We pride ourselves more on the physical attributes as in physical health. If we mention mental health, emotional um, distress, we are labeled as lazy or just making excuses for what we're experiencing and it's not really acknowledged. So as a Haitian American and going through my own situations personally in my life that I felt that I could not go to my parents or my cousins, my aunts, I couldn't really go to them for support. I somewhat had to make my own decisions and I had to find my own coping skills to manage 
throughout my, my circumstances. And I feel that this is a reason why I want to be a therapist that can empower other people like me, especially young youths that don't know what mental health is, that don't understand that standpoint or who don't have that support. And I want to empower them to understand that mental health is real. I want to educate our population to learn about mental health and how the components of mental health can actually help influence our life and help us grow as a culture. Because as a culture, when we don't take pride in also addressing the emotional disturbances that we go through, we all hurt as a whole. So I believe that where I started from, seeing poverty, seeing how discrimination and justice was played in mm-hmm. the Haitian population, it has grounded me to be the voice of, of the Haitian population, the cultures. And it's not well, only the Haitian population either. Right. Well, I wanted to ask you one question specifically about the Haitian um, history about, I mean, I, I think... From my experience, a lot of the Haitians I've met have a lot of pride and a lot of, yeah, they're just very, I'm trying to think of what I'm thinking, but they just have a, anyway, the question is, is how how do you think, uh, I mean, I know a little bit about the history about how the, my understanding is the Haitians sort of, they revolted against their, uh, they were slaves, but they revolted against the French and they were Mm -hmm. somewhat successful. And how do you think that, that history plays into how Haitians behave in the world? I think you were going definitely in the right direction when you said a form of pride. I I can agree. Even as a Haitian American, we do have that sense of pride. And I believe the fact that we were the first to actually receive our independence, which is something that we greatly celebrate the first of the year. January 1st is a huge celebration for us. However, knowing the fact that we were the first to do this, and it's such a great accomplishment, I think that if we allow ourselves to feel that we are doing less than that, less than trying to achieve the best that we can or stating that we need help is look, it's frowned upon because mm-hmm. we do have a huge sense of pride. Trust me, I have my father who is the number one person that's very prideful. He doesn't really say, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, thank, even saying thank you can be hard sometimes when he feels that, well, why should I say thank you? Well, you did it. It's, it's, it's very difficult. However, I believe that the pride is what hinders us because as a nation, the fact that we have been prideful not to ask for help from other countries uh-huh. is why I feel that our nation has become what it has become now. A lot of us are without, without resources. We do need to actually depend on other nations for resources and guidance because if we work as a whole, we can create something better. But if we're only working within ourselves and with our limited resources, we can't really grow, which uh-huh. I feel that a lot of Haitians are not allowing themselves to grow because they only stay within a particular box. If you keep yourself within a very tense box, then that's the box that you're going to expand. There's so much other layers that needs to be unraveled in order for you to really achieve a greater sense of wealth, success, happiness. You have to be able to adapt and be able to be open to more than just what, you, but our pride doesn't allow us to do that. And okay. I want to kind of remove that, that need, that pride that we have to show everyone. It's okay. Look, look, this person was able to get out of the box. We always want to stick into this orthodox box where this is what it should be and what it shouldn't be. Well, but but, I think, I think the pride to a certain extent is a positive thing. I think it just maybe needs, sounds like it needs to be tweaked to a, to a certain degree that it's, it's uh, needs to be more flexible. 
Yes, I agree. The pride is a good thing because the pride is our empowerment and it's our right. strength. Because if you're prideful, then you're not going to want to settle for less. You're going to want to settle right. for more. So yes, it, it does. It is a great strength that we do have. I agree because we'll start from the low end, knowing that we can eventually achieve and grow to something greater. So I pride myself on us being prideful, and yes, we we can tweak it. I think we can, but we have to be open to tweak it as well, and we have to be receive able to be open to receiving those changes. And I think that is something that maybe we should start opening more avenues because I noticed that, especially in South Florida, everything is just kind of sectioned to particular cultures. These cultures in their own realm, they don't really expand past their realm. And I think that we need to open open the borders more so, so everyone can be more involved instead of everyone just sticking to Little Havana or sticking to Haiti, North Miami, or this is on Miami Beach, we all need to find a way to collaborate together and grow and remove the pride, removing that, oh, I have to show that my culture is better. I have to show that we're going to achieve more and we need to achieve together. Um, right, so well, that. <laughs> all right. Well, so m- moving, moving towards the, uh, your work as a therapist, what, what type of, what type of places have you uh, worked at and what, 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 what kind of work are you doing now? Well, I am fairly new in the therapist realm, roughly entering, if we include my internship, I would say roughly two and a half, three years experience. And within that field, I was, I had the great experience of working um, with children as early as the age of five, adolescents and adults. Throughout my internship, I actually worked directly with the psychologist and I got another realm of experience where I was able to engage directly with the sessions. So I understood the medication management as well in correlation with the, with therapy. But I believe therapy is a greater form. This is this is what I've learned through actual, I guess, interactive therapy sessions. And I believe through psychotherapy, you get a greater aspect of treatment. Mm-hmm. I dealt with a lot of depression anxiety, and also grief. But through all these experiences, it has helped me grow as a, as a therapist. And currently, I am working as a therapist, providing care, and also as a clinical social worker in the hospital, to which I am dealing with, I am working with patients that are medically ill, but also needing some form of counseling. Counseling can be dealing with the current medical condition that they're experiencing or even dealing with families and patients to go through the um, process of hospice care or end of life. However, we do understand with the COVID-19, it has put somewhat of a hold on clients wanting to pursue treatment, especially self-paid clients. And even in the medical field as well during this COVID, working as per diem status, that also has been a contributing factor. What would you say your ideal client is? My ideal client would be a client wanting to change, not technically knowing how they can change, but a client that that has gone through the stages of change, the the pre the contemplation pre contemplation stage, and one that is ready to take action. Um, because even if they're in the contemplation stage, we can still try to assess their needs. 
but one that is aware and sometimes they're, well, they're not going to be aware of what they're going through and what's causing the problem, but one that knows that there is a problem and they want to pursue particular um, guidance or direction on how to correct them. I've dealt with clients that did not really want to receive therapy. Those were the ones in the juvenile justice system, DJJ clients. Mm -hmm. And amazing enough, they knew that they had to receive it because there was a certain requirement. However, my first approach was always building rapport and trust in which I got to, I would get to know the clients and then I would assess their economic standing, what's going on in their life to find out what's really behind the anger, what's behind the substance use, what's behind the problem that has brought them to where they are, where they have been said to need this form of therapy. And from actually building the rapport and trust, amazingly enough, they would open up. So there's no ideal per se of the ideal client that I need. No, I, I, I mean, like things like you prefer women or, or oh. adolescents <laughs> or a particular diagnosis or oh, setting. Yeah. Oh, of course. Of course. I'm sorry. Yes. No, I, I would normally, I would say I would be comfortable with a woman, of course, because I am a woman myself and I do want to encourage woman empowerment for them to feel that as a woman, no matter how you look, how you feel, what you've been through that you can overcome because that is something that even myself, I felt that I had to overcome and I had to believe, but also in other areas, I'm willing to deal with adults. I'm willing to deal with children because I believe that children is the new wave. It all starts from, 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 from childhood. As we know with Erickson beliefs, psychological belief is that everything starts from their ability to receive recognition for things that they're doing right? Inferiority versus superiority. All those things play a huge role in what the child will become. If a child is ignored as a child, if they're ignored as a child, then that affects their self-esteem and their will to to pursue greater you know, levels in life. So I do want to start with children because I, I, I definitely admire working with children because they have so much ambition and so much drive and it's a critical time for them. And I've worked at UM Oncology as an intern in which I I participated in group therapy and individual therapy as well, in which I became very familiar with cancer patients and also including the fact that I actually have a family member that's going through cancer as well. So compassion fatigue, I'm very familiar and I want to provide therapy to let them know that it's okay that there, there, there's ways to get through it and it's okay to take time for yourself and also to allow the individuals going through the stages of suffering to know that there's things that they can do in acceptance of what they're going through and also just to accept where they are because sometimes the attitude that you have in the time that you're going through your struggles makes you and really actually create the, a positive outcome and result of treatment. So those are the avenues that I hope to really, really focus on. All right, great. Well, what about, so you went to Barry for your master's. I remember that, that when my friend went there, I, don't know, I imagine they still are. Were they still focused on trauma in the Barry social work program? 
Yes, definitely. They're still focused greatly on trauma and wish um, you will receive, well, we receive our trauma-informed certification towards the end of the semesters, mm-hmm. as which I feel definitely was a great standpoint to really going, growing into the ther- therapist field because trauma plays a huge role in, in our lives. Yeah, and what what, did, what were some of your takeaways from that? What I took away from trauma is trauma is something that affects affects us internally. It mainly damages our mind, where we can even experience psychological and physical damages. As we know that with trauma, there is various types of trauma, and traumas can vary between abuse, broken relationships, violence, even illnesses, and sudden deaths which it has shown, considering this current pan- pandemic, that sudden death is uh, up is at an uprise. There is a numerous amount of people that are dying, and it closely relates to the previous crisis that we experienced in 2009 with the H1N1, where there was millions who died. I believe that through this crisis right now, it's creating a huge trauma for many individuals. It's already been reported that, and I researched this, that 60% of the U.S. population will experience some form of trauma. And upon this current crisis, I believe a greater level of them are currently are experiencing this, this aspect of trauma. It seems that the whole population as of right now is experiencing this, rather indirectly or directly. Well, I, mean, I think one of the challenging things about about this particular crisis regarding trauma is is that like having uh, being able to connect with uh, loved ones or friends and that 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 human interpersonal connection is really kind of I think an antidote for some of the the ill effects of trauma and because that we have to social distance and I, I feel that makes it a little bit difficult to really to it's kind of counter yeah it's like counter to making making ourselves feel better dealing with this type of stress but but it's but there's obviously the zoom calls and the the facetimes but it's yeah it's really not the same as uh, meeting in person so i'm wondering your yeah your thoughts on that yes i definitely agree i believe that this pandemic has really created a sense of new normal because nothing is the same because now we are faced to believe that we have to step outside with face masks. We have to have six feet distance just for us to protect ourselves. Not only are we wearing the mask, we're protecting ourselves and we're protecting other people. And that is definitely a huge change. I believe that in order to really overcome this change is that it does take resiliency. It does take people coming together and providing support. I believe that with people receiving resources or even having loved ones saying it's okay or provide or even therapy, because a lot of them are also running to therapy stating that they don't know how to cope with this because a lot of people don't know how to deal with trauma. And that's another thing why trauma is so impactful. Trauma is something that many people don't know how to actually resolve and, and fix. And it can cause a continuous um, re-exposure. If we don't find a way to cope when traumatic experiences happen. So what I believe is that with resiliency, what we can do as a whole is come together and provide support and support is loved ones. 
talking to loved ones, even if it's from a distance, just calling them on the phone, just providing reassurance. Hey, are you okay? I'm doing fine. This is something that you can do through this crisis to where you can protect yourself. You can protect your loved one or be mindful of this. Being mindful of your, your circumstances is very important. It's not only about being fearful. You have to be just mindful and aware. If you are aware of the things that can cause you harm, then you can do more good when you do step out into the world. You understand that, okay, if I touch this, but I don't wash my hand, then I'm at a risk of infection. If I don't cover my mouth, then I can pass whatever I may have. Maybe I do have something and it's asymptomatic and I don't know, but I'm protecting someone else by wearing this mask. I'm protecting someone else by washing my hands. And this is something that is called we build is a sense of awareness that we build for ourselves and others, which I believe it can go a, a long way. And other little solutions that we have now is I feel that through this pandemic, although we are staying, although it has changed and we're not stepping now, we have noticed a huge need for, for, I guess, for a better, for us to practice better health. Many people are actually walking now, walking more. It's always been said, walk, exercise, take care of yourself interiorly and exteriorly, but no one does that. But we have noticed the men, the people that are being impacted by this trauma are those that are not doing the things that are necessary. Walking are the ones that are not in good health. The, the older population, the ones that are predisposed to other health conditions. So this is making us more aware, not psychologically and mentally, but physically. Physically, we are seeing people that doing a lot more exercising, doing mindful ex- um, mindful exercises, yoga, guided right. imagery. So well, these I, are- I think that's, that's one of the nice things about this positive, I guess, side effects of this pandemic is that there's... Since the gyms haven't been open, I'm seeing people are, are uh, everybody's outside exercising all the time, which is which is nice. <laughs> yes, it's, it's definitely nice. The gym's not open, and definitely getting out is a positive way. Um, but you have to do it in a very safe manner as well. You still want to practice the distance. You still want to wear your mask. But we do see a lot of time that not everyone is displaying these positive attributes or finding a positive coping mechanism through this crisis. A lot of people are still dealing with very maladaptive, self-destructive patterns. And we've seen reports of people who are indulging in unsafe um, practices, rather is drug abuse, alcohol abuse, maybe emotional detachment where they feel that, oh, I've, I, right now everything is a ruin. I have no control. So they're detached. They're now more closed off than they ever been. We, we hear of clients. Oh no, I just stayed in, in, in my room. I just didn't want to deal with anything. I, I don't know what's out there. I think I will just stay to myself. So now they're now becoming more comfortable with being just content to themselves and not willing to engage that sense of engagement we're losing that and i think that's something that we have to hold on to as well as hold on to our our morals and the things that make us a better person so drowning ourselves into maladaptive behaviors isolations even anger management substance abuse drug abuse these are things that are not helping us there are things that are helping us but there's things that's also you know, very de- detrimental, and we allow this to be prolonged. And then this too can become another crisis, another trauma, 
it's greater, greater responsibilities have to be put upon the therapists, the healthcare workers to control this particular maladaptive behavior, because we know it can lead to not only physical, but also psychological damage. All right. So if you, if you had to, if you could invite any two people over for dinner, alive or dead, uh, who, who would they be and why? Um, two people alive or dead. I am, I would choose Michelle Obama. As stated, I've always stand on women empowerment. So I would choose Michelle Obama because she was the first lady. She was the first woman to, black woman to establish us a great leading role. And not only did she just establish a leading role, she established a platform for women and which she's providing education to young women through education, I guess, empowerment through education for young women. I know she has, she built Girls Opportunity Alliance Corporation that is founded on encouraging young women to believe in themselves, believe in their goals, know that they can do all things. And I think that's a great attribute of a leader. Also, another person I would say is Oprah Winfrey, because I feel that she has she has built herself from something in which she she's created something from nothing in which she always believed in herself and everything that she did was upon her own struggles. And she's also, uh, if, if I remember correctly, a rape survivor. So. Yes. Yes, correct. So she's been through her own trauma as well. And she did not, she did not allow her trauma to defeat her or labor her as the woman that was raped, the woman that, this happened to because some of us become so conditioned that this is what we labor ourselves and we make excuses for not going beyond because we are what we 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 what was done to us right we use the label i was raped this has i was hurt so why should i try but she did not allow that to confine her she allowed the what she'd been through to motivate her to 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 reach more heights and that's what i truly incur- i really admire about her and even in that, she also continued to encourage other people to pursue their dreams. I know that she's and one spiritual mentor, which is Ayana Van Sant. She's she brought her in. She believed in her dreams and excelled her. And also Dr. Phil. These two individuals have had careers that really flourished because someone believed in them, believed in their voice. And that's her movement. Her movement is to move people with words. With, with, through through words, she has continued to, I believe these two individuals, both Michelle Obama and Oprah, are continuously moving people through words, letting them know that their words matter. What they say makes a difference. And it can also impact someone for the better to encourage them to do more with their life as she has, as both of them have. So definitely, if I can sit at a table right now and have I don't know. I, it doesn't matter what's on the table. Just the presence of these two wonderful women right. will be enough satisfaction. Okay. And if you, what would you say that you that, that comes to mind? What would you say is one of your your uh, favorite purchase this year of a uh, hundred dollars or less? Now that question is hard because this <laughs> year, no, this year I really haven't put much focus into myself. And I haven't really made any purchases, especially what considering. About, what about last year? The last, last year. one you can remember. Last year, the only thing I can think of is that 
I or of all time, although just like the m- memorable purchases <laughs> that you can think of that are a hundred dollars or less. Um. Oh goodness, that's that's why is that a hard question? <laughs> other people, you're not the only one. I've had mo- a lot, most of the people I've asked the question do have a hard time with it. It's just, I'm sure they're they they just have a hard time remembering what they would be, but I'm sure you have some. But. I I really do have a hard time, but what I can say that what I gave was not, even though this is not the answer that you want, it's not what I purchased, but what I gave, I feel that this year I've given a lot of time. I've transitioned to being there. I became a caregiver. I became someone that was present to someone's difficulties. uh... A caregiver for um, my father. He was diagnosed with cancer last year, oh. and so I haven't really put a lot of focus into myself, which is something that I can tell everyone that it is important to do. So you sometimes have to take time for yourself and do something for you, because even while you're caring for someone else, you still matter. And I definitely encourage anyone, especially someone that's experiencing compassion fatigue, is to also be compassionate for yourself. Self-compassion is something that's extremely important. But even though I didn't buy anything significant, I feel the time that I gave, that time is priceless. And how, what, uh, how's your father doing? He's, he's doing fine. He's still going through treatments. Just hanging in there. It is a long process, but we're continuing to follow up with testing that's needed for him throughout that time, keeping him positive. I think that I'm definitely working as a therapist with him because this process is very discouraging because we don't know where it may go. A lot of things have changed. He used to be, like we said, prideful, Haitian-American. He's prideful on working. Well, well, speaking (laughs) speaking of that, just more specific, uh, I've also heard from other uh, clients or other uh, colleagues about the sort of archetype of, of the uh, the Haitian father. Would you say your father fits that kind of? Uh, he... <laughs> yes, he does. He, <laughs> he yes, he, I think he should be the, the figure for this prideful Haitian American. He's always, and, and it's something that we admire. He always worked hard to provide for his family. He always believed I, I work so hard because, so I can provide for you. And even in this stage where we're like, relax, it's okay. We're taking care of you. He's like, no, I want to go to work. I want to provide for everyone. I'm like, relax. Sometimes they don't understand it. And some, but it's sometimes we have to let them know that, yes, you're prideful. You want to work hard. But sometimes we have to be there for them as well and allow them to just sit back and sit and, and sit back and kick their feet sometimes. But right. and- it's hard. And uh, so you mentioned running uh, earlier. Do you have any, what are your other, is that one of your favorite kind of uh, self-care type activities? Any other uh, stuff that you like to do in particular? Yes, I, I definitely love running. I try to find different places to go with different scenery. I love scenery. But other things I enjoy is art. I used to be I used to win awards in art when I was younger I haven't really involved myself in art as much but one of the things I want to get into is painting so I want to take some art classes in the future and also yoga I know 
practicing mindfulness is is definitely a great skill, but I believe if I can actually really channel my inner self and become one with who I am and not allow everything around me to block my thoughts, that I can really become not only a better person and more insightful, that I can also help my clients. So that's something that I definitely would like to get into is definitely yoga and a greater level of mindfulness. What uh, what type of art have you done in the past? I've done, I've actually done, I can do portraits. <laughs> I, and it was, it's, it was weird. It started when I was young and we would watch some long films in class and and then I would be the person like doing portraits of some of someone during the video. I mean, I paid attention still, but I definitely enjoy doing portraits. Portraits kind of get a reflection of the person and who they are. And sometimes you see their feelings in their impression, their eyes. I mean, I'm not exceptional, but I like to do portraits and I like to do scenic portraits as well. I sometimes just go somewhere. I find something that's very intriguing or that caught catch my eye and then I'll try to draw the image rather as an outside image rather it's just I don't know it, it could be like a few vase that's put together in a weird abstract way and I just want to you know recreate it in my image so definitely art I love art and I don't know I like to I like scenic views it's an escape both of those are just a great escape for me all right, cool. So yeah, we're getting about uh, sort of pressed for time here. Any any final thoughts that you have? Well, my final thoughts is that I just want to say thank you for allowing me with this experience. What you're doing is exceptional, allowing other individuals to speak their views for you to actually not only speak their views and speak on the topics, you also take the time to get to know them as a person. And I think that's commendable because thank you're- you. Yeah, you allow them to kind of find their comfort and also find their voice. And as stated, I believe that voice is the number one attribute that a lot of us actually hide. We don't allow it to be shown and and really lifted. And I think through what you're doing, you're definitely allowing a lot of individuals to, to find their voice. And I definitely command you. And it's absolutely awesome. And I thank you.